Hello, welcome to the first episode of the Sanctions Minded podcast, where we talk about sanction issues and law. My name is Mohammad Javad Nasserinia, and I'm an Iranian law student in London. In this podcast, you get the chance to know the community of sanctions lawyer a bit more, who they are, what they do, and how they got interested in sanctions law. We also intend to discuss the relevant hot topics that you probably see every day in the news covering mostly the legal and practical aspects of sanctions rather than the mere political stuff. However, please excuse us if there is some politics involved because sanctions are political in nature and it's really inevitable to discuss at least some politics. For for my first guest for this first episode, I'm honored to have Mehnush Yazdanyar with me. She's joining us today from her I believe home because you're doing social distancing, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thank you for de- taking the time. Can we know more about you, what you do, how the industry is for you, and how you got interested in sanctions law? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm very honored to be the first guest in the first episode. So I'm hoping it'll bring a lot of positive energy and it'll be the best, uh, good way to get started. Um, about myself. So yes, I'm an attorney and I have been um, specializing in sanctions law for um, about 10 years. I live in California, but you know, the sanctions uh, regulations in the United States are federal issues. So um, we have clients throughout the United States um, and all over the world, because obviously sanctions, uh, Iran, uh, US sanctions in particular, um, are such a major issue and such a hot topic. Um, I actually got involved in sanctions in a very um, unique way. It was Mm -hmm. uh, 2010. And a friend of mine was actually... um, uh, arrested uh, for having received fam- family money from Iran. Um, and it was actually a big case. And it was the case that I think that put um, the sanctions and OFAC, the Office of Foreign Assets Control, the entity within the United States that basically administers and enforces the sanctions on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a case where somebody received personal money, non-commercial personal remittance, which is legal under the regulations. It always has been. Mm-hmm. But because there is no direct banking um relationship between Iran and the United States. He received money the only way that he knew how, which is through these currency exchange brokers, or as they call them, Sarafi in Iran, um, which led to a very, very complicated case. He was actually in prison for 22 months. um, And um, eventually we won on appeal. But that case really opened up my eyes to the problems that exist. Because great for the normal or like general people who have nothing to do with the politics. Absolutely. Absolutely. Until that day, I think 99% of the people who were potentially impacted by the sanctions um, had no idea that they could be impacted by the sanctions because most people just, you know, intuitively thought sanctions are related to commercial activities. And if I want to receive family money, uh, then then that's not commercial. And if you if you call OFAC or if you email OFAC and you ask, do I need permission or a special license or a permit to receive money from my family, they would say no. Um, and this really highlighted this issue. And also, for a lot of people don't, they underestimate how many Iranian Americans who still have family and personal ties to Iran, nothing to do with the government, nothing to do with anything else other than the fact that they're first and second generation and they travel back and forth quite a bit. So I realized, wow, what happened to him could literally happen to anybody. And that's where I really um, started to become an advocate in the community to educate the community of the dangers and engaging and even 
completely legal transactions because the lack of financial and other channels uh, between these two countries. And it has been a big issue. And it's always, I always talk about this. It's been 10 years, but I still feel like not enough people understand the negative impact that these sanctions have on U.S. citizens living here, just trying to bring their own money here or traveling back and forth. Um, so that's how I got into sanctions. And that's how um, that's basically primarily the areas that I focus on the most. That's really interesting because the U.S. government is always saying that these sanctions are smart and they are targeted. But it's, I think, very comprehensive. It's like everyone can potentially go under these kind of sanctions, every Iranian. Yeah, and it's um, it's important to remember that when you want to sanction a country, you have to have an intricate understanding of that country, of that country's banking system, of that country's culture, as well as your own citizens that are related to that country. And I think that mm -hmm. when these sanctions were first drawn up, um, you know, in the mid-90s, I don't think that the United States had an understanding of how many Iranian Americans are living here, how many people travel back and forth. And also, I'm positive that the United States didn't have a very good understanding of how Iran's banking system works. When yeah. these funds were received from a currency exchange broker, the prosecutors mm -hmm. in that case literally stood up on appeal and said, why his family could have gone into a bank and sent money through a bank. They sent it to, through a broker because they wanted to hide the money, which is so false. I think any person who wants to send money from Iran to the United States, if they could yeah. go inside a bank and directly transfer it through banks, much yeah. would rather do that. It's a much safer way for the client to transfer funds versus moving mm -hmm. money through these currency exchange brokers. Exactly. I also wanted to mention about your uh, Instagram page where you post a lot of memes about sanctions. That's taking <laughs> sanctions to a different level. That's like actually it needs a lot of positivity and a very good positive attitude to do something like that. I'm very thankful for that personally. My pleasure. Yeah, you know, I for the earlier part of my career, I think I was so stressed out all the time and I wanted to be taken seriously and everything to be taken seriously. And you reach a point in your life where my personality is a very lighthearted and very positive person. And yes, I deal with very, very serious issues and I take them very seriously, but it's about how you communicate them. And my opinion about sanctions is that they are based on a fundamental misunderstanding of two cultures mm -hmm. and two, two you know, governments. And, and that is why they have such a negative impact on the people of both of these countries. And that's why they should be reevaluated. You know, I never get in the conversation of should there be sanctions? Should there not be sanctions? Because like you said, that's political and that's not my job. But as an expert, I could look at the laws and say why they are so fundamentally flawed and the way that they are written. Again, I'm not speaking to the intent of the government, but the way that mm -hmm. they're written. And given the resources that are available in this country, in the United States, and the amount of Iranian Americans that live here, there are a lot of ways that they could improve the, the letter of the law to not have so many vague areas, not have so many misunderstandings. Um, and these memes are just some of the, the ways I like to highlight that in a more lighthearted way, because, you know, too much of it, especially today in today's world, you know, too much negativity and seriousness is just, it's not going to yeah. help. At some point, we're just going to turn everybody off to everything, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, this is a very interesting way of bringing people together as well. Yeah, thank you sure. for that. I really suggest the people who are listening to this podcast to go and take a look at these uh, memes and the, and the Instagram account as well. But um, let's let's go to the main topic, shall we? Sure, sure, of course. Today, we would like to discuss the U.S. approach with regards to the sanctions in the light of the COVID-19 outbreak. 
recently with this outbreak, the unilateral sanctions on countries like Iran and Venezuela or any other country that is under heavy sanctions right now, they have been highly controversial. Some say that these sanctions shall be lifted or at least relaxed for countries to be able to combat the pandemic itself and especially the economic effects that comes with it um, at their fullest. I'm sure you have probably heard that even Pope Francis said the same thing yesterday and he called for the sanctions to be relaxed. Um, I, I think it's fair to say at this point that many countries, even the, the ones that are not sanctioned, but, but especially the ones that sanctions right now, they, they are struggling financially to contain the virus. Absolutely. Yeah. On the other hand, however, the current U.S. administration insists that humanitarian aid, as in like, for example, medical goods and food, they're not subject to sanctions as, and that the U.S. sanction regimes have provided for uh, a financial channel in Switzerland that businesses can use to do their, their transactions for humanitarian purposes. So I think it's very proper at this point to ask this question that let's say that someone wants to use this financial channel that the U.S. administration always says, where, where do they begin with? How, how do they start? If they want to transfer funds to Iran or take funds from Iran, how this channel actually works? Yeah, so that's a it's a great point, and I've um, you know heard a lot about this, and this is one of the things that I was speaking about. One of the points that I was um, speaking to about where I feel like the, the the regulations could be better written. There are a lot of points in the regulations that the government contends that there are general licenses, or um, basically a general license is where the United States government comes and says that a certain type of activity is legal for all U.S. persons, and then carves out that activity. So it's in a way kind of if another easier way of thinking about it is it's basically saying something that's allowed. It's an exception to the absolutely you can't do anything with your own rule. Mm-hmm. There are certain conduct and activities that is allowed. And yes, there is a general license that allows nonprofit organizations, um, non-government mm-hmm. organizations to, to send aid to Iran. And that's um, a general license that's it's general license E. And basically it says, and it can only be not-for-profit organizations, non-government organizations that can send up to $500,000 in aid to Iran for humanitarian aid for reconstruction of building and non-commercial construction projects for up to two years after a natural disaster, for wildlife and environmental conservation um, projects and efforts, for the promotion of democracy and civil society, as they call it. Mm-hmm. And this non-government organization needs to send um, reporting uh, details of what the money is sent for and what it's being used for every um quarter to OFAC. Um, And if they want to do something beyond this, you need to get a license and um, an additional license. And if they want to send money beyond the $500,000, they would need a license. There's also... Have you had a case like that actually? Yeah. Yeah. So we represent a a number of nonprofit organizations, um, one of which Mm -hmm. is works directly with um, orphanages in Iran and children in need in Iran. And we actually, within one week with with the outbreak of the COVID virus, because even before um, the outbreak of the virus, there were two major flooding disasters in Iran. um, And well, there was a number of natural disasters, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. But we also wanted to get aid, increase aid for that. So we actually have an OFAC license in place. Once the COVID virus broke out, we had um, a request to triple the amount of that license. And within one week, OFAC issued that. So 
They got back to us. We spoke with a representative within one week. They wanted to. And to me, that signals that they do, then members of the government, they do want to help and they do want to send aid. But again, the problem is, how do you do it? So on this side of it, we have never been able to successfully use that alternative channel. What we have wow. been able to use and continue to use is sending money through currency exchange brokers in a third country, which is legal and permitted. However, it has become so increasingly difficult because both the U.S. bank who is sending the money and that intermediary bank, in this case, that intermediary bank is in Canada, both that that Canadian bank and the people that are sending this money to Iran, everybody is scared. I mean, we had to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in order for them to do that. Why? Because they're so scared. Because what if the United States decides that this is a violation? What if what they decide that $1 of this money is not being spent properly? Or what if... And it becomes a liability. So even though the law on its face allows for certain types of conduct, when you're dealing with an administration who gets up every single day and talks about how if one person engages in the slightest violation, then they're going to be hit with penalties and they're going to be hit hard and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. Nobody wants to touch that. It's not worth yeah. it. It's not worth it. No matter how much, yeah, even no matter how much their heart is in the right place, no matter how much they want to help um, it's, it's not worth it from a business standpoint, the risk is way too high. And so a lot of people want to stand and stay, stay away from it. And that's really the theme that we've seen, um, after the United States withdrawal from the, from the nuclear deal. It's just this fear of anything having to do with Iran. And I don't want to touch it. I don't want to go there. But if someone is willing to do that, how long that usually takes? Well, the license like itself. Um, oh, that. So the license itself can actually take a very long time getting additional licensing from OFAC. Um, mm-hmm. But the, once once that part of it is settled and once the intermediary is able to do it, it doesn't take more than a couple of weeks for the transactions yeah. to actually take place. And they they are taking place. But and and the vice versa is true. There are certain exceptions that allow people to receive their own personal money here in the United States. So if I'm an Iranian American and I have a grandmother in Iran who wants to send me, you know, let's say $25,000 to help me with something, an expense here, or she just wants to give it to me now, whatever, as a gift, that's allowed under the law, right? That's allowed under the sanctions. That's another area where the government always says, oh no, personal transactions are permitted under the sanctions, which again, sounds great in theory. But how is my grandmother supposed to send me $25,000 here? And I always say that I would love a member of the United States government to outline for us exactly how money for humanitarian aid moves from a bank account in the United States to Iran. Tell me what legal channels they have that allow us to do that. And vice versa. If my grandmother wants to send me $25,000, she can't go into like Parsion Bank in Iran and wire the money to Bank of America. She can't. She has to use a currency exchange broker. Well, sometimes a broker will send money. Sometimes a broker won't send money. Sometimes a broker wants to send money from inside the United States, which is not legal under the regulations. You know, and it's it, it opens up this mess and it all goes down to what's the point of having an exception? What's the point of allowing certain types of activities, transactions, and conduct when you don't allow or have or carve out a clear channel to carry them out? Yeah. I have heard also that some intermediaries, they have, like, for example, started off your exchanges, as you said, they have limited funds available to them in the country that, I mean, in the the, the target company, the target country. Like, for example, if you want to receive receive your money in the UK, 
these uh, exchanges, they say that we can't because we have this limit. There's a cap for us. So if you want to, for example, transfer $1 million, you can't. Uh, even less. $1 million is just too much. Uh, so that's another problem that many of my friends or many businesses that I know here, they have faced. Yeah, this also raises another concern, as you mentioned. You, have, you already know that co- there are some companies... Uh, uh, in countries, in other countries like uh, other than Iran, I mean, um, they are very hesitant to even use these kind of alternative services that are available under the U.S. law itself, as you said, like as they think that they are risking being exposed to sanctions or risking their reputation. What do you think about that kind of concern? Is it like a legitimate basis? Is this kind of a legitimate concern? Well, we saw um, we saw when the nuclear deal first there was the agreement um, and there was all this excitement because all these activities became legal, but there was still a little bit of hesitation for businesses mm-hmm. to get involved in these now exactly. legal channels. Um, and, and the core of it is this fundamental mistrust of this type of an agreement. And what if it changes? And what if, um, you know, what if later something becomes illegal and now you're investing in all this time, energy, or at a minimum, you're admitting that you are using this channel for this relationship, right? And everything that they feared, their worst fears did come true because the minute the administration changed, another president Mm -hmm. came in and they rolled back all of those, um, you know, all of those permitted activities and conduct. And here you are, if, for example, you're a foreign business and You've invested all this money, you've done your due diligence, you've done your paperwork, you have all your compliance documents, you have everything, and now the government of the United States is giving you three months to basically retract all of that, right? But all of that is there. All of that documentation is there. All of that proof that you were going to conduct this business, or you did conduct this business, or you did transact Mm -hmm. in these ways is all there. Um, So I think that there is a a legitimate... There's a legitimate uh, concern whenever you're dealing with something like this or whenever the United States government comes back and says, okay, this is going to be allowed or this is going to be permitted because it's not concrete and there is no guarantee. And this government has not given us that safety and security of knowing that their word today is going to be good tomorrow. Um, and right. so I do, I do feel like it was already even way before this new administration came, or I guess, I guess we can't call it new administration because they're, you know, rounding exactly. out their fourth year, but this current... Everything <laughs> after Obama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, um, you know, they, these problems exist, and I always say that. When I, when I speak to the issues within the sanctions, this is not something that's new. These started in mid-'90s when Clinton was the president, when these regulations mm-hmm. were written. This is not a Democrat or Republican issue. This is not an anti-Trump uh, issue. This is yeah. a problem in the law that exists and has existed over multiple administrations. I do think it got exacerbated and aggravated by the current mm-hmm. administration because to just back out of a international agreement without there being any cause, without there being any violation of the terms of that agree- agreement is obviously... Um, a very difficult pill for the rest of the world to swallow. It does nothing to prove or give any kind of comfort or security in anyone that wants to engage in any yeah. activities that that you know have anything to do with the U.S. or how they could administer anything against that. So I do think that there's a bit of legitimate concern that's there, which is lack of foreseeability. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> even Total, I've heard that the French oil company that they were trying to operate in Iran. They had to pull out without doing anything. Everything was just on paper as I've heard because they were thinking that 
okay, let's let's wait to see what the next president would decide. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and is this channel that the that the US administration says is an alternative to the usual international financial services like banks. This is not a normal route for sending or receiving funds internationally, as you again mentioned. This, I think, creates some complexities. So finally, can we, like, I want to have a good answer, like a final answer to this very big question that I always have. Is this full of conditions to be of use? So so like that, can we actually say finally that it's, complexity is defeating its purpose i think um it just not about just this channel my experience has been any type of any type of exception that they've tried to carve out or any type of alternative Mm -hmm. channel that they've tried to carve out has that issue because um at some point i think the actors have to to and when i say actors the countries and i mean and the united states in this particular uh case you have to accept the fact that if you want to administer crippling sanctions, as they call them, you know, that puts uh, an enormous amount of pressure on <clears throat> the country and its government, how are you really going to be able to logistically do that and achieve that goal while also leaving channels that, that don't, don't, you know, allow aid or whatever for, for the people? It's really difficult to do both. And that's what we're seeing. Yeah. And I think by on its face, it's a fundamentally flawed theory because how can you have both? And I think that's what we're seeing. And so when you get to these exceptions or these channels uh, that are carved out for these exceptions, they are very imperfect. Now, be it, you know, the unpredictability of it, be it the fact that there is no clean, clear way of carrying it out. There is no, or the too many conditions that are placed on it that makes it difficult. All of these things you have the same result. You have, it's not yeah, workable. Is, yeah. It's not I a know that using this channel. channel. Exactly. Sorry that I'm interrupting. No problem. I know that using this channel is very complex and difficult, but is it, can we actually say it's useless? That's my point. Um, I don't know if I can say that, uh, if it would be fair for me to say that. I haven't um, had enough uh, experience with clients trying to su- successfully use it or use it to say that. So I don't want to be that negative and say it's useless. Um, yeah. but, uh, it is not, it is not clean. It is not clear. It's, it is very, very difficult. And I, I, I think it, it's almost always easier for someone to say, I would rather just not deal with this. It's not really going to be worth whatever benefit it could, could be coming out on the other side. So it has to change I, for it to yeah, be actually absolutely. useful. I think the regulations need to be rewritten. I think that individuals that understand how things work need to be rewritten. And I think in doing so, they would do a better job of actually targeting who it is that they want to target and remove some of the pressure on innocent people who are now just getting caught in the middle of all of this on both sides. Exactly. Yeah, that's... I, I really hope for that because, we, um, you know, we don't have enough time, especially at these hard times that people are suffering. If any change has to be made, I think it's now the time. Yeah. But I hope that the U.S. administration has the will uh, or is willing to actually do that. I can't, I can't personally see that because everything that is going on is just like an atmosphere of full of politics. Yeah, I think and, that's the, the biggest issue is... Um, we need to, as a whole, and I know this sounds so naive, but it's the truth, and I think this pandemic has made us realize this. Whenever there's an, a crisis like this, 
Um, it's just a reminder that it really doesn't matter where you're from or where you draw up your country border or where you identify with as your ethnicity or race, what you view you to be your religion, your socioeconomic background, your politics, how rich you are, how poor you are. When yeah. a crisis like this happens, the COVID virus, for example, doesn't discriminate based on any of that. A human is a human. And if you're infected, you're going down. And this isn't something that... Um, that that we can control or put up our borders against. And this is a reminder yeah. of no matter how much we identify with a country, at the end of the day, we're all human and we all share this earth that we live on. And th this is the reality of it. So the more we accept that aspect of humanity being tied, especially in a world that is so connected, I think the the better the chances are of finding workable solutions that actually mm -hmm. achieve goals versus holding on to something that, you know, governments wanted to do 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. And they're just holding on to an idea of something that clearly doesn't work. Um, yeah. So I hope they mm -hmm. see it too. And I feel like if a global pandemic doesn't open your eyes to these realities, I'm not sure really what will. That was a very, very good way of putting it. <laughs> I, uh, actually, uh, yeah. I'm I'm just 24. <laughs> I haven't seen the wood as much as you've seen. I think you gave me a very good perspective about whatever is going on between Iran and the United States. That was a very nice answer. I think also first I have to thank you, but also I have to say that uh, we are reaching our limit for time. So I think this is where we should end the episode. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you Mernoush for your insights. Thank you so much for having me. Nice. Thank you. They were very nice and very helpful. Very positive as well. I really <laughs> like your positivity. Good. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and uh, take care of yourself and stay safe. Thank you. Thanks. Also, our listeners can find your contact detail and your, uh, your law firm's website uh, in the description of this episode. Hopefully, I will be doing more stuff on Instex for the next episode. So stay tuned. Perfect. Thank you. See you next time. Thanks.